show me the way to I'm taking my time on my ride. These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as the playlist. Having attended Catholic elementary school from first through eighth grade, I entered the land of cliques, crushes, and puberty with kids I had known since I was six years old. That there were only about 20 girls in my entire grade, and about half that many boys. It was difficult to hide from the alpha girls, and even more difficult for a shy and awkward girl to gain the attention of a boy. And if you happened to be a girl who was attracted to girls, it was even tougher, as this was pre-even the Don't Ask, Don't Tell era, the late 80s, where representations of women in movies and songs were limited to the seductress, ball-busting witch, or the vulnerable classic beauty who was an object to win or rescue. The Cold War was ending, and the Berlin Wall fell, spelling the end of communism. The Exxon Valdez oil spill and the SCI pronounced 1989 the warmest year on record, which provided a small glimpse of how climate change would begin to ravage the planet. The first release of Microsoft Office and the first Game Boys were sold. Most of us blissfully unaware of how much of our lives we'd spend on computers, both in our work lives and on handheld devices in our pockets. The first episode of The Simpsons aired, ushering in a new era of comedy where father no longer knew best, and the band that defined teen girlhood was New Kids on the Block, whose second single from their Hangin' Tough album, You've Got It, The Right Stuff, reached number three on the Billboard Top 40. My life consisted of copying how the popular girls teased their hair, scrunched their socks, and rocked their jean jackets. I was the daughter of a mother who didn't own a single dress, and had one nearly empty makeup bag with expired drugstore makeup tossed in the bottom drawer of the bathroom sink, which she only wore to weddings. And as the eldest child, I had no siblings to emulate. My younger brother was much cooler than I was, but he was a boy. My reputation as the smart, socially anxious kid meant that while I wasn't often bullied, I was overlooked and ignored. And I grew up with an ultra-conservative father who thought Hollywood films were liberal claptrap and who forbade us to watch most of them, as well as most TV shows. Perry Mason is usually what was on in my house. The small glimpse of trends in pop culture that I saw were through music and music videos. Songs are short, and musicians were on the covers of teen magazines at checkout stands, so accessing them was much easier. When I stayed overnight at my Nana's house, which I did most weekends, I could wait until she fell asleep at 11 and then devour hours worth of music videos before passing out on her couch around 2 a.m. This and walking back and forth to the public library and eating Jolly Ranchers and Choco Tacos while reading two books a day on my duplex balcony while doing the bare minimum to keep my younger siblings alive while my parents worked is how I spent most of the summer between 7th and 8th grade. So, when the first day of 8th grade arrived, I dragged myself out of bed, threw on my uniform, my new white LA gear, teased my bangs, rolled out the door, walked several blocks in the humid late August heat, and arrived to a line full of girls I'd known for eight years, but barely recognized. For starters, I was the only one in a jumper. Girls were wearing rolled-up skirts, white shirts with the first button or two unbuttoned, colorful watches, stacked rings, my neck and fingers bare, them smelling like a mix of rave and electric youth, me a mix of Aquanet and Secret, their faces caked with CoverGirl foundation with mascara and eyeliner-rimmed eyes, my sparse eyelashes and angry red forehead acne on full display. 
They were standing in small circles, laughing about all the fun things they'd done that summer, and in that moment, it hit me that months had passed, friendships had deepened, new love had formed, and I was a non-entity. Everyone had been running a race toward teenhood for months, and I was in worse than last place. I hadn't even known the race had started. It was as if I'd gone to sleep the last day of seventh grade and woken up in this line. Once school started, I felt much better. The structure of the day, along with the newness of crisp blank notebook paper and the smell of fresh chalk, improved my mood. Lunchtime was uncomfortable. Sometimes I had to use the free lunch ticket, but other times my dad gave me leftover hamburger or steak, which was thoughtful, but embarrassed me. I wanted to trade in the tinfoil-wrapped meat for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a Capri Sun. The tables in our cafeteria were straight and long, and social stratification was obvious. Look toward the middle tables to find the most popular girls, the basketball players, flanked by the cheerleaders, with the least popular girls like me, literally on the outside, hoping to hear a few words of the conversations happening at the center. Clicks also had different musical tastes. We had a few metalheads with Guns N' Roses or Iron Maiden tees under their uniform shirt, sporting black spiky bracelets. A few girls who listened to NWA and Two Live Crew, and who because of the racist hypersexualization of black women, had an unfair reputation for being party girls. But the most popular girls had pinups of Joey McIntyre or Donnie Wahlberg on their walls. As they sat pouring over the latest issue of Tiger Beat, one popular adjacent girl turns to me and says, Hey Sarah, do you like New Kids on the Block? I say, sure, of course, although despite loving Top 40, had barely paid them any mind. In truth, I cared much more about Madonna, Janet Jackson, Lisa Stansfield, and Paula Abdul, and the first CD I ever purchased was Sinead O'Connor's I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, which is still great 30 years later. When I wasn't listening to the divas, I was more interested in Tears for Fears, Depeche Mode, and Excess, and the B-52s. Really? My classmate interrupts, scoffing, because I was again lost in thought. Something I did often, earning me the title of Space Cadet. So, which one is your favorite? Favorite? Uh, they sensed and then pounced on my fear and confusion. Yeah, like, which one do you like the best? This here is a very subtle type of bullying. The kind where you pretend to be interested and ask questions, but really you're doing so so that you can demean the person for lacking the knowledge of the in-group, reinforcing their status as an outsider. This type of bullying is super effective in middle school, because what's the victim going to say? Excuse me, Miss Teacher, my classmate here asked me which new kid is my favorite. I bet she can't even tell them apart, laughs another girl. Sure I can, I retort. Oh, really? Three or four girls walk over to me and thrust the magazine spread in my face. So, my favorite is... Joey? I answer as I'd quickly scanned the article next to the photo and saw his name first. Which one's Joey? I have no idea, but point to Danny. Figuring I've got a one in five shot of getting it right. They laugh hysterically. That's Danny? Who chooses Danny? God, she's so weird. They take the magazine still laughing and walk away. Rather than embrace my weirdness and proudly listen to the music I liked, I continued to treat interpersonal relationships as a Rubik's Cube I could solve. I thought if my hair was teased to the right height, socks slouched with the perfect number of wrinkles, and listened to the right music, I could have friends. The video for The Right Stuff taught me the uniformity is good, just watch the dance moves, and 
If you follow the prescribed notions of feminine beauty, that either the cute boy, bad boy, sensitive boy, or hey, any boy, would deem you worthy of chasing down a city street, just like the girls in the video. So, you kids on the block were just another code to crack, something else to study. Never mind that this band was contrived and mass-marketed as a white version of New Edition and sold to white, preteen girls, just like the ones in my Catholic school, a formula that would be copied throughout the 90s, with bands like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. After the cafeteria incident, I couldn't not hear and see them everywhere. Constant play on Top 40 stations, covers on all the teen mags, merchandise everywhere, and of course the Magic Summer Tour. I decided that Jordan was my favorite, much to the dismay of my toxically masculine father, who forbade me from attending that summer tour. But my purpose here isn't to crap on things that people like, or even to lament a subtler form of bullying. Songs evoke memories, and if you're a middle-aged woman, or man, listening to this podcast, you've got your own middle school memories. When you hear news of the latest reunion tour of your favorite band, or hear Please Don't Go Girl on your local 80s and 90s pop station, if you're the type who holds on to things, maybe you have a cassette, or concert stub, or old poster of Joey McIntyre in a closet or attic. For me, New Kids on the Block reminds me of how much I wanted to fit in, and how utterly terrible I was at it, and how, as a partially blind, uncoordinated girl with undiagnosed mental illness and severe social anxiety, I was never going to. None of these things were my fault, and I cannot be blamed for either who I was or for pretending to be someone else. Just as the girls who were pretty, who were athletic, and who did have great social skills should be blamed for being themselves. What I didn't know then is that the world has plenty of room and space for us new kids on the block lovers, the Guns N' Roses lovers, the Two Live Crew lovers, and the Sinead O'Connor lovers, as well as those who check all of those boxes or none of them. If I'd been permitted to watch films in the 80s like The Breakfast Club, I might have had an idea. But nevertheless, I didn't know at 13, having spent most of the past eight years in an eight-block radius, and much of that time in a nearly all-white Catholic school, that I'd only been exposed to one tiny sliver of the world, because it was my whole world, and I had no idea how to challenge or break from those conventions. High school was a whole different story. Fast forward three and a half years later, New Kids on the Block was no longer charting, as the boy band trend had subsided for now. Grunge and R&B were dominating the airwaves, with Nirvana and Boys to Men topping the charts. And I was no longer a middle school girl with few friends who'd never had a boyfriend before. I'd had friends, and I'd been dating the same boy for a few years. I also wasn't the kid with no social identity, outside of being the smart weird one. I had gone from having 30 nearly all-white kids in my entire grade to a large, racially and economically diverse public high school. I wasn't the nerdiest, wasn't the weirdest, and certainly wasn't the smartest or highest achieving. I barely kept a B average in honors classes. I was, however, still quite insecure with social anxiety, panic attacks, although I didn't know that's what they were at the time, and burgeoning depression. I drank some, but... It just made me sleepy. 
And I smoked weed occasionally, but that made me even more introspective, so even less fun of parties all around. The first time I heard Blind Melon's song No Rain was the summer before my senior year. Although it wasn't as big a hit as most of the songs I'll talk about on this podcast, it did reach number 20 on the Billboard Top 100 chart, and number 1 on the Album Rock and Modern Rock charts. The song itself is simplistic, pretty forgettable, albeit melancholic, catchy, and instantly recognizable. It has since shown up on many music critics' lists as one of the worst songs of all time. What made Blind Melon and their song famous was its music video, which MTV ranked as its 22nd best video of all time. Blind Melon offered a fresh take on the misfit finds her place trope. I'm sure all of us can think of a song, a TV show, a movie, where the nerdy girl befriends a popular girl who teaches her that in order to become really popular and land a really cute guy, all you have to do is take off your glasses, let down your hair, and trade your frumpy clothes for a black miniskirt to reveal the inner hot girl who'd been hiding in plain sight the entire time. Voila, problem solved. In the opening scene of No Rain, we find the infamous freckled glasses-wearing b-girl tap dancing to an audience who heckles her. Rather than take off her glasses or tap shoes, she takes a few moments to sulk, then runs off to find various town folk she hopes will be more receptive to her quirkiness. I empathized with her deeply, as I approached high school the same way. I was friends with a few of the nerds, a few of the drama kids, a few of the newspaper kids, and a few of the rebel kids. I fit in just a little bit everywhere, but fit in a lot? Absolutely nowhere. On the periphery of every group, with just enough friends to make high school fun, but never developing the deep, lifelong friendships most of my friends made at this seminal time of their lives. But when the B-Girl found her group of fellow tap-dancing B-people, it gave me hope that I too would one day find my field where I could dance and play and live freely without shame. Unlike in middle school, where I wanted desperately to fit in by copying others, I now wanted the strength to embrace my weirdness, and had hoped that others might accept and love me, difficult and eccentric as I was. When Shannon Hoon crooned, I just want someone to say to me, I'll always be there when you wake, I desperately craved that. Part of the reason I flitted around from friend group to friend group and club to club and was an A student one semester and a C- student the next, co-editor-in-chief of the high school newspaper who'd won an award for a novel I wrote at 15, and also the student who skipped 90 days of school senior year and who failed to fill out even a single college application, then becoming a teen mom while my friends went off to college, was because I was grappling with a mental illness I didn't understand and didn't know how to talk about. When I had panic attacks, I didn't know what they were, so I'd get labeled histrionic and overdramatic when I'd run out of my house in tears. And when I was so depressed, I'd cut school and sit at the local Hardee's all day, or find boys to make out with in Chenley Park, just so I could feel anything at all. I was deemed a bad kid who was throwing her life away. And the mixed messages were confusing. On the one hand, I was told to stand up for myself, and ignore peer pressure, and that my intelligence and work ethic would propel me to success. But on the other hand, when I displayed any behavior outside of the norm, whether it be leadership or whether it be finding a boyfriend, which every message said I should do, any time I tried to let out my inner tap-dancing bee, I was chided for not acting more normal. 
and since I couldn't understand why the voices in my head were growing increasingly louder and increasingly meaner, and I couldn't talk to anybody about them, I went around searching for people I could fix. I was the most damaged person I knew, without the slightest inkling of how to process my pain or why I was even in pain. And my fellow bees were others with trauma and mental illness. Mostly, I wanted the attention and affection of boys who were even weirder and more damaged than I was, who I could try to heal and fix, because it was easier than acknowledging my feelings and healing myself. And by honoring and holding space for their pain and the weight of their bodies in my arms, I could give what I desperately needed others to give to me. I had no idea that summer of 93 would be the start of a terrible six years of self-destructive behavior. I had no idea that months later I'd run away from home. I had no idea that I'd have two children before I was ready, that I'd experience homelessness, be the victim of domestic violence, and all of that would culminate in a nervous breakdown and an involuntary psych admission. I had no idea that while I would get married and enjoy a decade of stability and achievement after that, earning an AA, BA, and MA, and starting a career in teaching that I absolutely love, that I'd still have yet another nervous breakdown, another stint in psych, enough therapy to keep me barely functional, and a bipolar disorder diagnosis at age 43. In that moment, watching the pure joy of the B-girl who'd found her family in that field, I had no inkling of any of what was to come. I had hope. So which band or song connects you to a middle school memory? Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at lifeisaplaylist or email me at lifeisaplaylist at gmail.com and let me know. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. <laughs>